Diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen. This is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast, co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today. Welcome back to Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila Asdell Danielson, together with my co-host, Rob Cockrell. Rob, did you get the Nell water bottle I sent your way? I did, Lila. Thank you. And I noticed it has a lovely shade of purple. <laughs> but of course, hydrogen purple, obviously. Be sure to guard it carefully, though. Those are in high demand. Oh, really? Yep. I have one as well, and I took it hiking with me in the summer. Snapped a few pictures with some gorgeous views in the background, such as from the top of Preikestolen. Of course, I shared that on Nell's Instagram and got quite a few requests for them. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot on hand at the moment, so I couldn't send them out, but I'm hoping that'll be fixed soon. Okay, awesome. And I heard rumours of a Nell merch store making an appearance at some point. Any truth in that? Indeed. It's a work in progress, but I'm hoping we'll be able to launch it in the not-so-distant future. And among other great Nell stuff, there will definitely be at least one water bottle featured. Sounds good. In the meantime, I'll take extra special care of mine. (laughs) Good call. So not to steer the conversation away from Nell swag and all things purple, but who do we have on the roster today? Today, we're chatting with Pietro de Erasmo, one of our technical consultants in Nell's electrolyzer division. He's got a long history with the company, so he's going to give us some insight into Nell in Norway. Before we get him to join us, however, it'd be interesting to hear about H2View's perspective on this country I currently call home. Anything our listeners should hear about when it comes to Norway, Rob? Well, I do hear it's a beautiful country. (laughs) That is. How about when it comes to hydrogen, though? Okay, so I have a note on my phone, and it's a top five list of places still to visit. And Norway is very much on that list. But not just because of those incredible fjords that I've wanted to see since I was, I don't know, 16, or the beautiful beaches you've shown me pictures of, Lila, but also these days because there's so much going on with hydrogen and clean energies in the country. One of the biggest stories this year, in fact, was the news that, rather appropriately for the home of now hydrogen, Norway is firmly backing its green industries in a way which other countries perhaps haven't quite done so in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was revealed in late May that a $370 million support package for green technology projects, including hydrogen and offshore wind, was being pushed after the economic slowdown. Now, admittedly, it followed a major package of support for the oil and gas industry, mainly in the form of tax breaks to encourage investments. But this was called hacking for green technologies like hydrogen, and that has to be welcomed. It also came before the EU Hydrogen Strategy 2, and at a time when there were growing calls for hydrogen to have a prominent role in post-COVID economic rebuilds. So hats off to Norway there. Yeah, that was good to see. And while the hydrogen strategy recently released in Norway wasn't nearly as ambitious as we'd been hoping to see, it was at least a small step in the right direction. It was indeed, and hopefully just the first of many, perhaps eventually bigger, steps towards realising hydrogen's key role in the energy transition. And there have been several other key developments in the country this year too. Remember we saw Mongstad Industrial Park selected as location for what could be the country's first production plant for liquid hydrogen, serving the maritime market. We've seen a few other movements in the maritime market in Norway just this year alone. Hydrogen fueling stations are expanding. And of course, we've seen a few good announcements from Nell over recent months. It's an exciting time in Norway. (laughs) This sounds like a very good time to get Pietro in to tell us more about that. Pietro, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. 
So Rob has been giving us some insight into some of the latest news on hydrogen coming out of Norway, and I'm interested in getting your take on that. To start with, though, let's hear about you. Could you fill us in on your background? Yes, yeah, sure. I had got a degree in like 76 in mechanical engineering from the Norwegian Technical University. That I worked a little bit at the university as a scientist, working with fatigue in weld steel structure before I moved over to the West Coast to the aluminum industry. So here I learned about electrolysis and, and how to make aluminum. And I worked uh, with the energy optimization of the aluminum process. Uh, after that, uh, I come over to Nell Hydrogen and started with working with hydrogen. That was in 1984. So that's uh, a long old time ago, Pietro. What got you into the hydrogen industry? Yes, as a matter of fact, I had two good friends who, who worked for Norsk Hydro Electrolyzers, which was the company's name at that time. We just called it Nell. And, and at that time, in the beginning of the 80s, uh, the, the market was seemed to take off for the hydrogen plants. Uh, and we started to deliver hydrogen plants to a wide range of industries. <clears throat> Uh, Nell had got orders uh, from two nuclear power stations in Great Britain. We were supplying hydrogen plants to metallurgic industry, to glass floating industry, to the fat hardening industry and the electronics industry, as well as to the gas companies. These two friends invited me over and tried to persuade me to join this business. And well, after some years, as uh, we got some problems in the in the aluminum industry, I moved over in 1994. So here I am. I am. I worked first as a mechanical design manager, and from 1993, I was uh, the technical director of the company until I retired in 2008. I worked then for some years in um, in the oil business, but in 2016, I was invited back to join Nell again, uh, which I enjoy very much. So here I am. I am enjoying my passion for this technology. And we are very happy to have you back in Nell, I can say that. So you've been in the hydrogen industry for quite a long time. Uh, have you never tired of it? What what keeps you motivated? Well, I have got so many challenges during these years. I have been uh, working with optimizing on the performance of the alkaline electrolyzer, both increasing the electrolyzer capacity and improving the energy efficiency. And uh, as we were working with uh, many different industries as uh, hydrogen plant suppliers, we had to adapt over of a process, of a plants, adapt to the customer process. And I have been working with atmospheric electrolyzers. I have also been working with the high pressure electrolyzer because we got new requirements and we have to go into the high pressure uh, electrolyzer technology. Uh, I have been working with PEM electrolyzers and also be part of the development of a methanol steam reformer. So it has been new challenges all, all the time. And we also designed and delivered the first commercial filling stations for uh, buses and cars a week in, in Iceland. So that was uh, a really huge uh, challenge. Uh, we did the, the whole design for both the, the hydrogen generating unit, the compression of the gas, the purification of the gas, the storage of the gas, and the the gas dispenser to, to the cars. I, I know I can see that as we're moving into the decarbonization of many different industrial industries and, and also the over energy consumption, I think the demand for hydrogen will, will increase. So, so this is a very exciting place to be. 
Absolutely. Um, and so, Pietro, I think we can safely say there have been quite a few changes to the industry over the years. What would you say the biggest difference is in the industry now when compared to how it was when you first started? Uh, is there anything particularly surprising? Yes, when I first started, we had only industrial customers. Hydrogen was used in the fabrication process for different products like stainless steel, hard metals, glass, electronics, fat for the nutrition industry, generator cooling in power plants, corrosion control in nuclear power plants. But now we can see that hydrogen is becoming an important element in the energy sector. And we, we have to bring hydrogen into the public areas as we are filling hydrogen into our cars, in, into our buses and trucks. We will be more close to the hydrogen and we have to socialize with it and learn how to handle it. So we are getting uh, new regulations. Uh, we need to see how to adapt uh, hydrogen into, in, into the public area. My surprise is that uh, this seems to take so long time because we have been discussing and talking about this for 20 years now. But now I think I see it's coming. So we are moving from just being into the industrial area now to go out into the public area with, with hydrogen as an energy carrier. You know, you were saying that uh, that it feels like it's taking a, a very long time. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that. I had a, a lunch chat recently with one of our, our colleagues uh, who's also been in the industry for quite a while. And uh, he was saying the same thing as you, that it's it's seeming like this is taking a really long time. Whereas for, for someone like me, who's relatively new in the industry, it seems like things are moving so fast. So it's interesting to hear those different perspectives. So to focus a bit on Nell in particular now, can you give us a brief overview of the story of Nell from its beginnings in Norway? <clears throat> Nell has inherited the alkaline electrolyzer technology from Norsk Hydro. And Norsk Hydro was founded in December 1905 based on an invention of an electric arc furnace uh, for making calcium nitride, which is used as fertilizer in the agriculture sector. So uh, the founder of Nell, uh, Samuel Eide, he saw the opportunity to utilize Norway's extensive hydroelectric resources to build up a new industry for producing fertilizer in, in, in Norway. And very quickly, a fertilizer plant was put in operation at Nordodden, Rukan, Porsgrunn, and later on also at Glomfjord in the north part of Norway. All this happened in a very short time from 1905 and up to 19. Uh, 28, all these plants was up going in full, pro in full production. But uh, to generate and to produce fertilizer, it takes a lot of electrical energy. And we have to optimize the energy consumption all, all, all because then we could produce more fertilizer for the same amount of energy. So this led to the decision to change the whole fertilizer production to the German Haber-Bosch ammonia process, the old electric arc furnaces that was shut down. And in 1924-25, we started to implement the Haber-Bosch ammonia process. A huge amount of hydrogen was then needed for making ammonia. In fact, the amount of produced ammonia was determined by the availability uh, of the electric power. So uh, economization uh, of using electric power was very important all the time. Uh, we had to develop uh, very efficient electrolyzers and we implemented the Haber-Bosch test together with the German, RG Farben, and also the American uh, 
U.S. Nitrogen Engineering Corporation, but the electrolyzer itself has to be developed by uh, by the Norwegian, by Norsk Hydro, and in cooperation with uh, another uh, Norwegian company, the NOFA, who was a hardening, fat hardening plant, and they had an electrolyzer plant in operation at that time. And with the Swiss company Perkins, we were able to um, to develop this uh, this electrolyzer, which was put into operation in uh, in 1925-26. It was uh, it was a pilot plant, but already in 1928 the full production plant was commissioned at Nordodden, and only one year after that. The, f- the full plant was also commissioned at Ruka, and uh, later on, after the Second World War, uh, the plant was commissioned in uh, Glomfjord. So altogether, Norsk Hydro has then operated the world's biggest electrolysis plant with a capacity of 60,000 normal cubic meter of hydrogen per hour, or put in another word, it was almost 6,000 kilo of hydrogen per hour generated everything for making uh, ammonia and fertilizer. Wow, this is some great history here, Lila, isn't it? It really is, yeah. So I've heard it said that the story of Nell is the story of hydrogen. That's a great line that, Lila, you should use it for branding. (laughs) Thanks for the tip. But uh, Pietro, what prompted that story? Why did those first electrolyzers in 1927 come to be in the first place? Yes, it it came to be because Noshida was looking uh, all all the time for generating or producing more fertilizer for the uh, with the electric energy available and uh, if you could make more fertilizer for the same amount of electric energy uh, then that was a net profit uh, so the uh, the electrolyzer was a very important main equipment for achieving this and uh, the efficiency uh, and the performance of the electrolyzer and the ele- huge electrolyzer plants uh, was always a topic on, on a, kept on a high level in, in the company. Uh, so everyone inside uh, the company uh, were aware about the hydrogen and all the needs we had around the hydrogen plants and the development and improvements, which was made all the all time through all these years. But for the public, I think that the story of the heavy water uh, is an important thing why everyone, at least in Norway, knows, knows about Norsk Hydro and knows about uh, hydrogen because uh, heavy water is a byproduct of, of, of the hydrogen generation. And uh, we know the heavy water story and, and uh, the sabotage towards the the end of the Second World War that really put Doshkidro on, on the map. Yeah, I think that's a very familiar story for, for everyone uh, here in, in Norway, at least, and I think even uh, in many places outside of Norway. What about today? Uh, can you tell us about what projects you're involved in currently and what challenges those projects are addressing? Yes, today I am involved in um, developing a high-pressure electrolyzer. Uh, because uh, we are getting, when we are now moving into renewables energy and uh, linking uh, hydrogen plants towards uh, wind power or solar solar energy, we need to have a more efficient and um, more flexible ele- electrolyzers, meaning that we can vary the 
the load or, or the current through the electrolyzer much quicker than we can do with the atmospheric electrolyzer. An atmospheric electrolyzer, it takes about uh, 30 minutes to start the whole plant from scratch to have it in full operation. Uh, but once it's in operation, it takes uh, about 15 minutes to go from a very low load, uh, let's say 15% of the capacity, and to full load, 100% of the capacity. That seems to be very flexible, only 15 minutes. But when you are linked to the solar energy or wind, uh, wind energy, you need much more flexibility. Uh, you need to do this uh, in seconds. And that's why we are developing the high-pressure electrolyzer, because with the high-pressure electrolyzer, we, we can go to maximum, from zero to maximum uh, capacity within a few seconds, and even less than one second can be achieved. So this is a very important development for us, so we can adapt our electrolyzer plants to renewable energy. That is very interesting. Thank you so much, Pietro. How about uh, interesting facts about alkaline electrolyzer technology? Anything there that you'd like to share? Yes, the alkaline electrolyzer is a re really robust and simple way to generate hydrogen uh, from water when you have uh, electric energy as the, as the main input. Uh, the technology is major. Uh, and we know all the safety aspects uh, around it. It's uh, quite more uh, flexible than uh, than a gas steam reformer, which really takes a long time to, to start and which mostly is operated on a steady, steady rate. And also we can make the alkaline electrolyzer quite efficient when it comes to the energy consumption with no use or very little use of precious materials. So I think uh, I think when we are talking about huge hydrogen plants, I think that the alkaline electrolyzer will, will play an important role, have been playing an important role and will be also in, in the future. That's interesting you say that, Pietro. We talk a lot about mobility and FCEVs versus BEVs at H2View. Let's get into a debate in electrolysis here. Is it alkaline, PEM, or both for you? Will there be one winning electrolyzer technology sometime in the future? That's, that's difficult to say. I think, myself personally, I think that both the technology will, have, will play a role in the future. Because uh, the alkaline electrolyzer, as it is for today, is more energy efficient. So if you are really talking about uh, producing huge amounts of, uh, of hydrogen, then you can do that in a more efficient way with the alkaline electrolyzer. But uh, so, so the alkaline electrolyzer, I think, will be important for huge industrial processes like making fertilizer or already mentioned that, but also for steel production or uh, centralized plants for fuel. But for more decentralized production of hydrogen, plants who need to have uh, a small footprint uh, because it had to be located uh, into the public area. Uh, also, when it comes to comes to safety, you, you know, uh, the PEM electrolyzer is operated with only pure water. So it would be maybe more easy to put the PEM electrolyzer into the public area. So I think both of them will play a role. Okay, interesting. I think we, uh, we definitely knew where you were going there. And are there any big technology advances coming up that you could tell us about? Uh, when we are working with um, a high-pressure uh, electrolyzer, we are already 
told you that uh, what is coming up is that we will uh, have much shorter response time an electrolyzer with uh, which can respond uh, within one second uh, on the energy uh, demand we will have uh, plants will be, which will be adapted uh, to the solar energy plants or wind wind energy plants all right let's shake things up a little bit here are there any fun facts about hydrogen that you think our listeners would be interested in hearing about are you asking for a, f- a funny story yeah, let's hear a funny story about uh, hydrogen or something that you find interesting that you think our listeners might want to know about uh, about hydrogen. Yes, uh, I have a funny story from uh, the, the old days. <laughs> I assume that everyone knows that hydrogen is the lightest element we know on the Earth and may be used to make balloons fly. At the same time, it is very explosive with the right mixture of air. But uh, in Norway, we look at the National Day as a big day for the children. The celebration of this day is mainly a huge children party. And you know, children love the flying balloons, which is normally filled with inert and safe gas helium. But helium is quite uh, costly. And in our hydrogen plants, we have a lot of hydrogen. Uh, so many years ago, some creative operators in the electricity plant at Nordodden, they turn up on the city square early in the morning of the national day, bringing a bottle with pressurized hydrogen gas. And then they offered all the children to make the balloons flying for free without any cost. So they started, of course, to fill balloons with hydrogen gas as the plant manager arrived in the square to participate in the celebration of the national day. And he was quite shocked when he saw what was going on. Luckily, he was able to stop this activity before an incident happened. We, we may laugh at it now, but the very next day, at, uh, they started a safety training session in, in the hydrogen plant. So, so every, every, everyone learned about the hazard that they, they, were, that they, they had in, in this children party. Well, thank goodness that they, uh, they were able to learn from it without any big incidents happening. And um, I mean, as you know, safety is a really big focus in, in Nell. Uh, how has safety training in the industry changed and, and hopefully improved? since you started in this industry? Oh, that has changed a lot because uh, now this is a very important part of uh, when we are supplying uh, supplying a hydrogen plant normally, uh, the customer will also ask us to, to train to train the operators, not only the operators, but also the people involved in the maintenance uh, of the plant and the people in the surrounding of, of the plant. So we will give them training and the safety aspects is a very important part uh, of the training. And that is also what we have to think about when we now are bringing hydrogen out from the industrial area into the public area. Again, in some way, we need to socialize the public with, with the hydrogen. But if you look at a gasoline station, it works quite okay and has been working okay for more than 100 years now. And I will say that the safety of a of a hydrogen station is better than it is for for a gasoline station. That's my opinion. I'm just a very, very small part of the hydrogen movement today, but I'm very proud of that one. Um, you have a very rich history in it, Pietro. You must be very proud. Yes, uh, I feel that I, I'm working with the right thing. I, I, I'm just a small man. Uh, I can't do very much, but at, at least I participate and I do my part uh, to bring forward uh, 
the hydrogen economy, as long as this will be an important route uh, for the decarbonization uh, of many of the industry processes and uh, overconsumption, huge consumption of, of energy, uh, we need to find a, a better solution. And hydrogen as an energy carrier, I think that will be main solution. Or hydrogen combined into synthetic diesel, gasoline, uh, methanol. Anyway, uh, the demand of hydrogen would just be, be growing. Yes, I'm a, I'm a little bit proud. I have, to, I have to admit that. I'm a little bit proud to be a part of it. And rightly so, absolutely. And that's also fantastic to hear. You were you were talking about how we we need to get the the public to be more aware of of hydrogen. Um, what are some of the bigger important projects in Nell's history you think the listeners would want to learn about that that might get them kind of interested in learning more about about hydrogen in Norway? Yes, if I can mention one project, I think I found very very interesting to be a part of. Uh, it was a project we supplied to a small island on the west coast of Norway called Utsira. That's a small island, some hundreds inhabitants. And uh, this island uh, is uh, powered by a sea cable. And in the beginning of the 90s, this sea cable was becoming old and, uh, uh, and the capacity, not sufficient capacity. We made a stand-alone plant on this island. Uh, consisting of two windmills, uh, one hydrogen uh, generator, uh, mainly a, a high-pressure electrolyzer, hydrogen storage, uh, a fuel cell unit, and also a hydrogen-fueled uh, generator as a backup for the uh, fuel cell. And all this was linked together in a standalone net with, uh, it was between 10 and 15 households, which then was totally supplied supplied with their electricity from from this from this standalone net, and uh, this net worked very well for for many years uh, and gave us uh, a lot of experiences uh, how to link an electrolyzer to to the windmill and how to respond on the demand on the net for for energy. Uh, what we learn and what we what and very important important learning was that uh, the electrolyzers should be even more flexible. It was then we learned that we really need to get a very low response time on, on the electrolyzer. And that's why we are now really working with high, high pressure electrolyzers. This is great, Pietro. And if we can just draw on your rich history in this industry just one more time, what are your thoughts on the role of hydrogen going forward? For more than 100 years, uh, the hydrogen has been a very important element in a lot of different in industries. Hydrogen is, as already mentioned, is important for for agriculture, but is also important for uh, for the in, inside the metallurgy industry, the electronics. Where a lot of our products really need hydrogen to to be in the fabrication process. But now hydrogen also might be, you know, will be, I think. Energy carrier, uh, it will be even a more important element because the role in inside the industrial area will go on, but the role as an energy carrier will just start to grow from now, and it will be growing into the future as we are getting from oil and natural gas and diesel and and, uh, and gasoline 
and into into hydrogen fuel. We will all, of course, see different solutions. Uh, of course, we will see batteries will be playing uh, a very important role, and maybe also other energy carriers. But hydrogen will, for sure, be a, a very big part of it. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Yeah, definitely. We're just about out of time now, Pietro, but do you have any last thoughts for our listeners before we let you go? Yes, as I've already mentioned, hydrogen has for about 100 years played an important role as an input material or utility in many industrial processes. Hydrogen is indispensable for the world food production. It contributes to give us a lot of high-tech products. And now its role will expand into the energy sector as one important energy carrier. Uh, we will get hydrogen both from water electrolysis uh, using renewable energy. And we will also, I think, get hydrogen from gas steam reformers with carbon capture. Today, gas steam reformers have a very big part of the, of the hydrogen production. But... If you add carbon capture to it, then that is is expensive, which will make that hydrogen from electrolysis will take a bigger share. And indeed, also, as the development is going on with renewable energy, that, of course, will, will give hydrogen a bigger share of, of the total, total production. Thank you, Pietro. I, I think that uh, a lot of the things that you've been saying there echo what we heard from uh, Jan last week as well. So uh, it's good to see we're all uh, on the same page and headed in the same direction. So thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. Rob, what do you think? Anything to add before we wrap up for today? I think my overwhelming thought or feeling is just fascination at the whole history of both Nell and these electrolyzers. You do look a bit wide-eyed there. I do. I, I am. Um, I mean, it was great to learn about the history and indeed the future of Nell with Jon last week. But uh, this was detail on a different level. I feel like we just compressed a whole century of electrolysis into just 30 minutes there. Uh, I think, too, we talk a lot about electrolyzer technology today, the challenges ahead, the kind of calls to action that we need to act upon. But we perhaps don't talk so much about the historical challenges with this equipment how we got to where we are today. Clearly, we can always learn from history and what a case in point. I mean, Pietro returning to the Nell fold and almost bringing back all that historical knowledge and expertise. What a great story. That's, it's just fascinating. How about that bit on the Utsira project? I know you love a good microgrid story. <laughs> I do, I do. Uh, probably like you, I was already aware of Utsira and the significance of that, but... Yeah, great to learn more about the island and the project here today. These are exactly the kind of case studies and success stories that we need to communicate more to the world at large. And again, there seem to be a lot of key learnings to be taken forward from that project. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. And on that note, I'd like to thank our audience for joining us for the second episode of Purple is the New Green. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to check out our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts for more episodes as they're released. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in. Make sure to join us again next week for more Hydrogen Talk. Until then, thanks for listening.